The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. We have about 20 minutes left. I'm actually unsure where to pick up. So we could... um, one way to continue is to see you've heard all kinds of things today and um, something that you want to ask or bring up or focus on or yes you mentioned that you deal with renunciation at the end of the day yes someone else said I was going to deal someone said it differently she said Gil you said you were going to deal with lust at the end of the day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so those of you who want lust go on that side of the room this is the- <laughs> so what, what in particular would you like to look about pronunciation well um, when I had that experience of compassion and then I was gripping this person and, you know, trying to press the compassion into him and change him. (laughs) I thought maybe that's where renunciation comes in, where you you remember about having compassion, but then uh, in order not to add on, that would be where the renunciation that you would relinquish um, acting out on trying to fix or trying to do something to change people. Yeah, it could be. That's nice. That's nice. Could be. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of words in the in the in the you know like right, like renunciation. There's letting go and release and relinquishment, and these words have different meanings. Slightly, they are they all synonymous. Um, the, um, perhaps the word nekamma, which translated as renunciation, does in fact have a connection to the kamma, the, the lust. And, um, <clears throat> and the kamma, uh, generally I think in the, these early texts, refers to any kind of um, uh, uh, craving or clinging to sensual pleasures of any type. So not just not necessarily sexual. And that nekamma, the renunciation, has a very strong connection to uh, renouncing the pursuit of sensual pleasure. You can't renounce sensual pleasure, that's not possible. But you can renounce the pursuit of it, the, the involved, you know, the usual pursuit of it. And um, <clears throat> so, and that's, you know, and the word nekama also refers to someone who, um, the movement that someone makes when they become renunciant. It becomes a, a kind of also means going forth into the renunciate life, the monastic life. And there, there's a big uh, renunciation, you know, renouncing sexuality, becoming celibate for the big sensual desire. And so I think maybe for this, um, uh, you know, for the right intention, right attitude or approach, that um, a lot of what this renunciation is about is renouncing the clinging or craving for sensual desire. And then we can, um, you know, there's a number that raises a number of issues. One is, it's interesting to look at is, uh, you know, even people who think that they don't have much attachment to sensual desire probably do, uh, because uh, you, you know I just want to be comfortable. They say I don't, I don't, I don't, ha- I don't want sensual desire. I just want to be comfortable, and 
and that and how much of life is spent uh, pursuing uh, indirectly essential uh, desire, essential comfort. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's true for some of you, but it's possible that some of you might have a little bit of a bigger house and bigger car than you than you really need. And why do you have this car? You know, is it just because it's a convenient car? Is it only because it's a safe car, or is there was there pleasure and involved in the car or in the house? You got a, you know, there was two houses you could have rented, and one house was, you know, they're exactly the same except. Uh, to two things. One has a view of the ocean and one has, and that one is more expensive. So you choose the more expensive one because of the pleasure of seeing the ocean. It's a nice thing. I don't want to knock, say it's bad. But there's a desire for comfort, for the pleasure of that, the meaning of that. And because of that, you have to work longer hours, you have to be concerned with a better job, you have to do all kinds. And so so a certain amount of your work uh, is taken up with the pursuit of sensual pleasure because you have that money for that rent. So, so the idea of, uh, of uh, how much of our life is spent pursuing sensual pleasures. Go to the store, what kind of food do we buy, what kind of we cook. And um, there's nothing, nothing inherently wrong with the pursuit of sensual pleasure. Um, it's one of the delights and satisfactions of life. But if we are mindful of the pursuit of sensual pleasure that we have, um, how often are we going to see that it's agitating, that there's agitation as part of it, that there's clinging as part of it, uh, there's compulsion as part of it. And if there is, then close, close, closely connected to that is suffering. And, um, so that, you know, so that, uh, and because of this strong connection between the pursuit of sensual pleasure and suffering, um, it's been an age-old uh, uh, practice to at least spend some time uh, renouncing the pursuit of sensual pleasure in order to get a, a different relationship to sensual pleasure and to yourself, to understand yourself. Um, and so, like, you can go on a retreat at Spirit Rock or with us now, and um, we don't advertise that it's a celibate retreat. <laughs> you know, big letters, you know, seven-day retreat in celibacy. You know, it's probably, uh, you, know, it's, you know, no one would sign up. <laughs> but, um, in fact, that's what it is. But it's a kind of minor issue in terms, you know, it's, it's understood that we're celibate on these retreats, but... That's not really the purpose of the retreat. But some people come to these and discover that's what's going on. And it's actually a very meaningful and important part because they've never had seven days of celibacy. And um, they've you know, always been involved with, since they you know, were adults, involved in some kind of sexual activity, whether it was uh, with themselves or with a partner. And so uh, it's kind of a, a shock or surprise to see, oh, I, had no, I always acted on this impulse and now I can't act on it. Now I get to look at this and they get to see what their sexuality is like, what their impulses, what their ideas, what their associations with sexuality and it becomes a whole big education about themselves that they never had because they stepped away from it for a while. And so the same thing can be with food um, or uh, all kinds of se- uh, 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 things we, we want for our sensual pleasures. Maybe on retreat we're not doing it and it can be, a, again, a, sometimes a culture shock for people and part of the value is... To, by stepping out of the usual pursuits, we see what's going on, we see the motivation underneath it. And then when you leave the retreat or leave the period of celibacy or leave monastic life, um, then you come back and you have a whole different relationship to it, perhaps. And uh, perhaps there can still be a pursuit of sensual pleasure, but maybe it's with a very different approach and maybe there's no clinging to it it's, uh, or there's a whole other thing that's involved. 
And so I think, I think that I believe that the reason why uh, lust is considered uh, wrong intention for the path of practice is that lust, lust is a very powerful form of sensual desire. It's not just simply sensual desire. Uh, lust has this, you know, you're kind of, I, I associate the word with being driven, um, you know, or this compulsion that's difficult to put down. And so whether you, know, you can have lust for all kinds of things, not just sex. And there's no freedom in that experience. And if what we're pursuing is freedom and the ease, the lightness, the, the, the peace that comes from a heart and mind that is free, that's what we want. You know, then uh, to have a mind that's in the grip of lust, it's not gonna be, you're not going to be free. So, so, so this, is, you know, so this does, it goes, it goes against the purpose of the path. If what you want is to walk the path. If you don't want to walk the path, it's okay. Not, then it's not an issue, right? Um, maybe. The, is it making some sense? And um, so, you know, traditionally in Buddhism, there's a very strong critique of sensual pleasures. Many people here in the West are very uncomfortable with this critique because um, they, they don't quite, they, they, they hear it maybe in a moralistic way, puritanical way. Um, the, um, and, you know, we're, we're kind of a, many people in our culture or subsection of our cultures uh, tend to uh, put a, a high price, high value on uh, pleasure, sensual pleasure, and, um, and the gratification of sensual pleasures. And it's almost like a, a front to be told that, you know, let go of it and maybe not, don't, you know, don't, don't be involved in it. Um, and in that, in that case, uh, I think that something like a going on retreat, this temporary monasticism uh, it can be very helpful for people to kind of grapple and look at what they're involved in essential pleasures uh, and sometimes people don't uh, you know the retreat doesn't provide enough challenge in this regard I mean I, I, there are some places like Spirit Rock is such a beautiful place or our new retreat center is really a beautiful place that uh, we might we might do a people we might have done people a bigger service if we'd created a really rustic, challenging, cold, damp, <laughs> you know, you know, place, but, you know, and um, where you know we have to, you know, deal with these much more, but uh, I think in con- you know anyway, for, in considering uh, who we are as a culture and people and all the different elements involved and what's wisest to balance everything, I think we we made the right choice for our new retreat center. But, um, you know, it could be that we'll have to do a renunciant retreat someday <laughs> and encourage all of you to come. You know, you sleep on a wooden platform, no food after 12 o'clock, all kinds of great things. So, Yes, Ted. I just wanted to remind uh, people about lust. I used to get turned off about that idea. You know, I I, I want the good stuff, but um, it actually clouds the mind, and the sense door awareness becomes much much brighter. You know, like when we do the raisin on retreat. You know, we're not really lusting after the raisin, and then all of a sudden, the brightness and the you know the taste and the smell and and just the feeling in the body, being aware of what's yeah. going on, that that without lust, um, 
the, the sense doors become wide open. Yeah, so that, so that we do this raising exercise, right, for mindfulness of eating. And if you're really quiet and present, if you're caught up in the desire for more raisins, you're thinking about the next raisin before you finish this one, you know, you're not going to taste it, right? But if you just let go of the next raisin, just eat this raisin very mindfully and carefully, it's kind of an explosion of sweetness and raisin flavor. And when you keep you keep chewing it and chewing it, and then it gets cardboard-like, and then you have this, you know, and then you have this intense experience of cardboard dullness. And, you know, so mindfulness doesn't only give you know the more pleasure. You know, it also then when you feel the other side of it, it's like, oh, there's, there's that too. So, so what else? Yes. Um, just spell the Pali. N E K K H A M A, I think. I don't think there's any long letters. So, what else would you like to ask today? We have ten minutes or so. So you get the mic, please. Here. Any question? <laughs> you um, might not get any, I, any I, question, but you might not get any answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, it's been a while that I haven't been here. I used to come here yes, very I often. Nice and, to see you. And that, then I started and the reason was because I lost my mom. Mm. <coughs> yeah, it's, I'm sorry to hear that. How long ago did she die? Um, ten months ago. Ten months ago. It's a big transition, it's a big step to lose a parent. It's a time to be very careful and caring for yourself and make space. And, um, and, if you, if it, and if it's still a really big for you, like it seems to be, there are places you can go and get support. And one of the great support places in the peninsula here is a place called Kara. And some of you probably, I think people, there are people here I think who've been to Kara. They've lost people. and It's a peer support group. And mm-hmm. so if you, if you, if you, might not feel, you might not need it anymore, but if you feel like you need yeah. for it, and, but it's also good to come here, and um, you should know that if you come here and, uh, and you feel like you have to cry because the sorrow is still there, uh, this is meant to be a safe place to cry. And I mean, if you're sobbing and the floor is shaking, then, then maybe you can go continue in the side room. But if the people around you hear you crying softly, it just opens their hearts. It's, we want this place to be a safe place for that. And it's... Um puzzling for me that I didn't expect this feeling. I, she was old, she was sick, uh, but it's, it was like uh, nobody tells you how you're going to feel when you lose her, and then, especially mom. And then I got really confused that how come nobody prepared us or no one, uh, I mean, it's like having your child. You don't know the experience until you have it. 
Right. And then you don't know this feeling until you, lo you lose him. Right. And then I'm trying to really uh, um, look at it from the spiritual angle and also Buddhist angle and then be present with his hair memories. But there is something there that I'm still confused. What is this feeling that mm. I, I've done some grief process myself mm -hmm. and with some other people, but still this death in general is more um, issue for me than ever. And mm. I, I am trying to deal with it. Great. I, 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 I would like to you know, encourage you to uh, keep looking at this. It's a very important area of human life. Everyone's going to yes. face this sooner or later and look at it. And what the mindfulness practice, one of the functions of mindfulness practice is to uh, help you uh, be simpler with the grief. Uh, yeah. So uh, to see how you complicate it, see how you resist it, see how you hold on to it, see the judgments that come on top of it. And uh, see if you can just, so you can step back, step back, let go, or some of the, uh, the complications the best you can, so you can be simpler about it. And, um, and so, to, and, uh, and I have tremendous uh, confidence in the heart, the inner emotional life, mm -hmm. knowing how to evolve, move in the direction that it needs to move, if we can learn how to get out of the way, and don't interfere with it. And so part of the function of mindfulness is not to fix what's happening, but to help get out of the way from what's happening so it can move through us better. Mm. So I think to be very respectful of how you're feeling and as you stay present for it, to begin noticing what's a little bit extra, what don't you need, and just to get down to the kind of essence of what's going on. And, and it might be, I suspect it'll be very important for you to do this. Yeah, thank you. <coughs> so... So the task, uh, the, the topic today is the second step of the Eightfold Path. And it's kind of like, um, I like, I like the idea of calling it right attitude because as you go through your activities of your life, whatever you're going to do uh, in your life, you might consider whether you can approach these, uh, include, as you approach whatever you're going to do, can you include within it an attitude of compassion, an attitude of goodwill, an attitude of renunciation. So, um, and one of the issues, you know, that someone brought up, you know, I'm married and this lust thing, right? I mean, I mean, I'm married. You know, supposed to, you're supposed to have some kind of lust, or, you know. And you know, it depends what you mean by lust. But there can be sexual attraction to someone. But what intention? That's the intention, maybe to have sexual contact or satisfaction or expression or something. But the question is, <clears throat> what intention... We can have multiple intentions operating at the same time. And what intention gets the upper hand? What intention is the predominant one that motivates what we're doing? And if the predominant motivation is uh, sexual gratification, um, that's one thing. If it's, there's sexual attraction and interest, but the predominant motivation is caring for someone or loving kindness for someone or love for someone, um, that's a whole different thing. Or respect for someone. And so, uh, what, what intentions do we want that in influences and informs whatever we're doing in our life? And, um, and, what are, what are the in so, and so, what 
the Buddhist path suggests is that these three intentions, that of, of renunciation, that of loving kindness, and then compassion, are very, very helpful for learning how not to cling, learning how not to interfere, learning how to be wise about how we go about our life. And I would suggest that uh, it's a great practice to go and think about, you know, to kind of just think, you know, actively think about, like, what would be the compassionate thing here? What would be the, the kind thing to do here? Uh, in what way would renunciation be useful here? Not in a moralistic way, but as a way of kind of adding a different perspective to what you're doing in the situation. And I find it very enlivening and meaningful to bring these reflections into my life, into what I'm doing, um, and adding it to, adding to my life. And I find that it does, in fact, seem to be very supportive of the path, and very supportive of settling the mind, calming it, being easeful in how I, you know, how you go, I go about. And I've certainly noticed the opposite, that uh, when I have anger and ill will and lust, that that is not very conducive for me being settled and peaceful and have a sense of ease. So um, you might, in this next month, uh, explore these topics for yourself and uh, experiment, experiment. Experimentation is a great thing to do in practice. Be, play, be even playful about it and, um, and experiment with these different attitudes and see what the consequences are and how it is. We do have this handout up here. It has uh, an article that I've written about right intention. And then uh, I think there's five or six weeks before we meet next time so there's, a, there's a kind of a, some reflections for each week that you can do if you'd like to do kind of have an ongoing reflection and, and um, exploration of this topic. And then next week, next month, we'll start with um, the, um, the application of these intentions in the actions of our life. And the first, first case will be speech, right speech. And uh, what, what does speech look like if it's informed by these right intentions? So, okay. So, oh, so uh, we usually have. Whether well, usually we, for the customer here is to have the people who practice here who take care of our center and all the ways in which we can take care of. Ourselves.